Welcome to the Upstream Public Health Podcast, where we talk about the prevention issues of the day. Now your host, Jill Hudson and Dr. Daniel Morris. Hello, Jill Hudson here. I'm here with Daniel Morris, my friend, longtime friend. Hello. And we're going to talk today about a really important public health issue, probably one of the most important public health issues in my humble perspective. But first, let's introduce ourselves. Again, I'm Jill Hudson. I live here in Oregon and work here in Oregon. And I've worked on public health issues for the past 25 years here in Oregon. And I'm the chair of Upstream Public Health. And it's an honor. Uh, my, my name is Daniel Morris. Uh, I'm also an Oregonian. I live here in Portland. Uh, I am a doctor of public health. I used to work as an epidemiologist. Uh, I've done w- research on the tobacco industry for, uh, I guess, 10 years now uh, in kind of a number of different areas, but I'm really fascinated in uh, kind of how the industry works and how we can uh, really combat the uh, kind of the scourge of tobacco uh, in, our, in our society, uh, which really causes so much death and disease. Uh, improve public health. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about Upstream Public Health. Uh, Daniel and I are both on the board of directors for Upstream Public Health. Upstream Public Health is a nonprofit, an Oregon-based nonprofit, and our mission is to uh, improve the health of the public. And we want to do that through smart policy, innovative policy. We want to make sure that everybody has a chance at having a healthy life. So, all right, let's jump in. Um, So, Daniel, you and I have both been working on tobacco taxes for a lot of years. That's right. I've been working on tobacco taxes for about 25 years, and you and I have worked together together on tobacco taxes. I don't know if you remember that. Mm -hmm. I try to block some of it from memory. (laughs) I remember a lot of conversations about really technical stuff like weight-based taxes versus ad valorem taxes and escalator clauses, et cetera, et cetera. Um, So for today, though, I want you to pretend that I am somebody you met at a dinner party Mm -hmm. and you are just going to help me understand why tobacco taxes are important. So first of all, what are tobacco taxes? well, that's a great place to start. So, you know, as the name suggests, you know, we're talking about taxes on tobacco products. Uh, the federal government taxes tobacco products. States tax tobacco products. Some local jurisdictions around the country also tax tobacco products. There are lots of different kinds of uh, tobacco products on the market, uh, from cigarettes and cigars to um, uh, you know, pipe tobacco and roll your own to smokeless tobacco like uh, dip and snooze. Um, uh, to you know, hookah, and you know, even uh, you know, kind of a new, kind of new classes of products like electronic cigarettes and other ways that uh, you know, kind of other nicotine delivery systems. And you know, across the country, these uh, you know, these taxes uh, they raise a lot of revenue for a lot of really important programs. Uh, you know, there's you know, um, like in Oregon, our our tobacco taxes go a long way to uh, to fund our uh, state Medicaid program, our Oregon Health Plan. Uh, they also fund prevention programs and uh, really you name it. There's there's a lot of kind of revenue, and so it's it's an important they're they're an important part of state and federal uh, kind of revenue systems. And so just for that reason, they're I think very interesting and and sort of worth paying attention to. Uh, but also from a public health standpoint, we know that 
tobacco taxes are maybe the best way to reduce consumption of tobacco because um, like other products, as the price of something goes up, the demand for it goes down. And we know that tobacco uh, taxes are a good way to uh, reduce consumption and prevent youth initiation. And so from a public health standpoint, uh, it's uh, you know, one of the really the top policy goals that public health folks tend to have uh, is to raise taxes to, uh, to reduce the consumption of tobacco and, and hence the, the burden of tobacco-caused diseases. So who pays the tax? It sounds to me like what you're saying is that the tax gets passed to the consumer. So it's, when we say tobacco taxes, it's not a necessarily a tax on a tobacco company. It's a tax that gets passed on to the consumer and then has the potential to increase the price. That's, that's exactly right. And actually, more than 100% of the tax is passed on to the consumer. Okay. Uh, so um, the, way, the way this works is that uh, tobacco manufacturer, like a Philip Morris or, or R.J. Reynolds, uh, uh, they, they first they will pay federal taxes on the products that they produce, and they send the check to the U.S. Treasury. Um, and then they sell those products to a local distributor, and the price that the distributor pays includes the federal tax, and then the distributor marks up those products, and then they pay the state taxes. Um, and then... And then they, you know, before as they deliver their those cigarettes or what have you to the uh, retail location, and then the customer pays it. So when the customer is buying a product at a store, that price includes the the state taxes, the federal taxes, plus um, any markup on those taxes. So uh, a markup on the product as it moves through the um, kind of through the distribution chain, and and so ultimately it's the the consumer, the tobacco user that is paying the, those prices and not the tobacco company. Okay. Uh, in fact, many, there's you know, good, good evidence from when taxes are raised that tobacco companies will often raise the prices before the tax takes effect and will uh, just sort of take advantage and, and squeeze a few more dollars out of their, their customers before, the, um, uh, before they actually have to pay nice. higher taxes. Nice. So. Um, so if I'm an Oregon tobacco user, let's say I'm a cigarette smoker, um, if, uh, I'm not going to pick a brand, uh, but I, I go and I, I buy, you know, not generic, but I, I buy a brand name cigarette. Um, do you have any idea, like, about what I'm going to pay per pack? Um, well, you know, again, it, it depends where, where you would you'd go buy uh, your pack, but it's it's common for me to see just walking around Portland cigarettes advertised around six dollars a yeah. pack, um, just on you know outside of convenience stores and when, uh, uh, so I think that's maybe like a good ballpark just to kind of think of. Uh, you know the federal tax on the, that pack is around a dollar and Oregon's tax is a dollar thirty three. So yeah. um, so you know kind of put those together and you can kind of get a sense that um, you know, maybe um, I, I should have run the numbers, but the uh, but you know like as a, 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 a a sizable kind of chunk of that price is represents the tax the taxes that are that are being paid on that on those products. On that product, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So uh, we care about tobacco taxes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Who 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 else? Who all should who, who should care about tobacco taxes? I, I'm sure that's that people who use tobacco care about tobacco taxes, but yeah. who else should care? Well, I mean, I I think we should all care because um, you know tobacco is the number one preventable cause of death, uh, both in Oregon and the country and really in the world. Uh, over 7 million deaths worldwide are caused by tobacco every year. 
about half a million of those are in the United States. And uh, b data from our uh, uh, public health department, um, that, you know, they report that about 7,000 deaths every year in Oregon are caused by tobacco. So, so really, um, I think it'd be hard to find anybody who doesn't have a family member or a friend or uh, you know, knows someone who has died from their tobacco use uh, or is you know, suffering from uh, diseases uh, you know, caused by tobacco. Uh, you know, so the, the toll is really, a, it's uh, astonishing. I mean, the numbers are really big. And, uh, uh, and again, you know, because, because taxes are the best way to, to reduce consumption and, uh, uh, you know, prevent those diseases, that's why, um, uh, you know, that's why I think that we, we all should, should care about, um, should, you know, should care about tobacco and taxes. Aside from the, uh, just sort of the human cost of the, uh, uh, of the you know the suffering involved, there there's also actually a lot of cost in dollars. So treating tobacco, treating diseases caused by tobacco, the the, the medical care uh, costs billions of dollars every year, three hundred billion dollars nationally, uh, over two billion dollars a year just here in Oregon. Um, and you know and these costs are it's not just for the treating medical care, but it's also all the uh, we would say like the lost productivity as if people get sick and can't work or if they die and their family loses loses out on their income uh, that also has a really big impact on on uh, on Oregon families and families across the country and uh, and many of those costs are actually borne by taxpayers so uh, you know with with our Medicaid expansion we now have over one million Oregonians who are enrolled in the Oregon health plan um, and you know it costs a lot to maintain coverage for all those people. And uh, since, as we know, that tobacco use is more common among uh, people with lower incomes and education, and and that uh, uh, and is actually more common among people enrolled in the health plan. So uh, you know, tax dollars really go to uh, to treat many of the um, you know diseases caused by tobacco. And so. so I want you to break this down for me a little bit more, because one way I could think about this, Daniel, is you know everybody dies of something eventually, and that's going to probably cost some money too. So why all this concern about the money that's spent in our healthcare system on this particular illness or these particular illnesses that are driven by tobacco use? I think that's a really good question. Um, you know, and I, I, th I tend to think about that in a couple of different ways. Um, maybe what resonates most for me, and I don't know if it resonates much for other people, but that uh, you know, right now our healthcare system is not able to adequately provide care to everyone who needs it. Uh, we just simply don't have the resources in the system uh, to meet the, this kind of crushing demand. And the demand is only getting greater as the population ages, and uh, we have a population that's not really all that healthy, and so the if we're to have a kind of a robust health system that actually works and uh, uh, and will continue, uh, we we absolutely have to prevent people from getting sick. Yeah. And uh, and again, like the best way to do that is to reduce tobacco use. And so, just from the standpoint of how do we protect uh, and build a um, a, a health system that actually you know provides health care to people who need it a, a big component of that has to be reducing tobacco use otherwise it's uh, I think we're we're sunk we're yeah. just not going to going to get there 
All right. Other reasons, like what, who should care? Why should we yeah. care? So I'm hearing yeah. some really good reasons. <laughs> well, I, I think this, this other question, I mean, th- just the sense that like, well, you've got to die from something. Uh, I mean, and, and I think like that's true, like, uh, but then the manner uh, by which you go, there's actually, you actually have some control over that. And it's the difference between dying in your sleep at age 90, uh, you know, or suffering from, you know, uh, with cancer for 20 years, uh, or from heart disease. And, uh, uh, and you know, there's a lot of, uh, and, and it's a choice, you know, and, and, uh, um, and I, I think I know like, which one I would, I would choose. Um, and so I, I just think this, that argument is kind of uh, hogwash. I don't know, yeah. it, it, yeah. It, it doesn't really ring true for me, because yeah. it's like, well, well, yeah, I mean, you can, the difference between dying now or dying in three years, like you could do a lot in those three years and it, it, it matters, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I, I think that we could probably all think about like, well, what would we give for another year with a loved one who, yeah. uh, who passed on? And, yeah, I think about uh, this a lot in terms of my grandparents. Um, are, are any of your grandparents still alive, Daniel? Uh, no, they're not. No, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry to hear that. I, I um, am about 10 years older than you. I'm in my 50s, and I actually have one grandparent who's still alive. For a good portion of my life, I had all four grandparents, and they had a tremendous effect. I mean, they really had a huge role in my life. But I lost one of them when I was 16 because she was a smoker. And then I lost others in my 20s because they were smokers. And... Um, I, there's no, there's no doubt in my mind that the void my grandmother left is, 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 was terrible. It was, ex, is significant and totally avoidable, 100% avoidable. She died when she was 63 years old from smoking. And, um, you know, it's, it, it, it's something I think we should we should never lose sight of. I talk to policymakers and opinion leaders a lot about how to help kids. You know, that we want to prevent youth from using tobacco. We want our youth to be strong. And I think that if you want your youth to be strong, one thing you could do is make sure that their grandparents are still around for them because that's what builds strong communities and helps people be strong. So um, thanks for setting me straight on that one. Yeah. Well, yeah, thank you for sharing, sharing that. I, that really resonates with me as well. Um, I have a five-year-old son, um, and 
it's really been it. It's awesome to watch him and his the relationship he has with my father. Um, I didn't get to know either of my grandfathers because they were killed by tobacco use. Um, my my maternal grandfather died when he was forty four years old, um, and I've heard that he said he was going to quit smoking when they got to fifty cents a pack and uh, uh, didn't didn't make it. Uh, my uh, my paternal grandfather died actually when I was less than a year old, but also uh, was a heavy smoker and. Uh, um, and so I didn't get to grow up with either of my, my grandfathers. And, uh, and yeah, I think about, I thought about that a lot and it's, uh, you know, definitely something that I feel like I've missed out on because of, um, you know, because of their, their smoking. And it's, uh, uh it definitely gives me, um, you know, kind of motivation and, uh, you know, and, and focus when it comes to, you know, thinking about my own son and, um, uh, and also just to, to try to keep that from happening to other, other people. Yeah, and I think what's so striking about our conversation is the knowledge that we have now. We'll talk about it later, but the knowledge we have now that tobacco companies were actively working to addict people. They were lying. They were selling light cigarettes that they knew were equally as harmful. All of this has been found in federal courts, et cetera. So... Uh, the narrative around our grandparents is really uh, rooted in a choice that they made, but a choice that they made in an environment where um, they were not treated with respect or they were not, they were lied to by tobacco companies. And uh, that, that, that presses on me a bit when when you think about it that way. Or, you know, our grandfathers, I don't know about your grandfather, uh, our grandfathers who fought in the war and World War II um, and who were given free cigarettes every day. And that was a tactic of tobacco companies to addict people. And, uh, every, you know, that's how we lose most veterans. Mm-hmm. So, and it, and yeah. it worked. Yeah. So uh, tobacco taxes. Uh, you've told me before, and uh, uh, I've, I've experienced some of this, they're, they're fairly popular. Yeah, it's it's actually remarkable. I've you know the past few years I've I've done a lot of work on uh, state tax policies and uh, have read have you know seen lots of polls and it's it's always remarkable to me how consistently uh, raising tobacco taxes are consistently one of the most popular tax proposals. Through my work uh, over the years, um, I've I've had so many conversations with smokers, young smokers, middle-aged smokers, older smokers. And um, there's some really consistent themes. Uh, even if you're a smoker or a tobacco user, you do not want your children to be a smoke to smoke or to use tobacco. And um, secondly, most smokers don't want to be smokers, and most tobacco users don't want to be tobacco users. It's powerfully addicted. The cigarettes have been manipulated to be powerfully addictive. And just listening to their stories of how hard it is for them to quit. They hate cigarettes. They hate that they're smokers. Sometimes they hate themselves because there's, it's tragic. And it makes me so um, so sad for them. And it also makes sense, though, that they're, they're, they're looking for things like your grandfather who said, well, when cigarettes get to be this price, um, I will quit. And we hear that from smokers as well, that um, they are... 
excited about something happening in their environment that's going to give them that extra motivation to quit because quitting cigarettes is so hard and they want to do it. And um, so it's not surprising that that quite a few people who are regular tobacco users uh, are okay with being taxed. So I was a little surprised, or I'm always a little surprised. Um, in, in Oregon, it has been hard to increase tobacco taxes, and we're not exactly at the top of the heap when it comes to uh, the protections that we're providing to people through having nice high prices on tobacco. So what, tell us more about that. What, what gives? Yeah. Uh, well, the thing is that you know back in the late '90s, Oregon actually was a leader in um, in tobacco taxes, and uh, we passed a significant tax increase. Uh, we were one of the first states to really pass a, a big uh, tax increase back then, and uh, and to, to dedicate a share of that funding to tobacco prevention work, uh, and it really made us a target uh, for the tobacco companies. And uh, you know, in the years since, they have spent millions of dollars in Oregon uh, campaigning. Um, lobbying, you know, and uh, camp, uh, giving lots of campaign contributions. And uh, they're very active in this state uh, working to prevent uh, a new, to prevent higher tobacco taxes. Uh, just in the, in the um, uh, yeah, really just in the past few years, hundreds of thousands of dollars in campaign contributions. And, and we can expect that this is only going to be ramping up uh, and we'll be, you know, hearing even more, they'll be even more and more visible uh, now that there's so much kind of growing attention on raising tobacco taxes here. Uh, we haven't had a significant uh, increase since, um, you know, in our cigarette taxes, uh, uh, really since back in the, in the late 90s. Uh, so now we are below average in the, in the country. Um, while other places, while many other, other states and local jurisdictions have been raising their, their taxes lately. Uh, so, uh, you know, the, the, Fact is that it's um, you know that money talks, and they have a lot of money because it's uh, you know they're selling an addictive product to a lot of people, uh, and uh, and it's very profitable, uh, and they've got a, a big war chest to to use to to campaign with. So you mentioned the uh, tobacco tax that was passed in the late '90s. I actually worked on that campaign. It was my the first thing I did in tobacco control in my life or in Oregon. And um, uh, everything you said really rings true for me. Like working on that campaign um, against tobacco companies was uh, mind blowing. Uh, just just how hard they would fight. And how dirty they would fight. And so, uh, but we won because it's, it's doable. And other states are passing tobacco taxes. You mentioned localities. Now, that's not an option for most tobacco products in Oregon. So in contrast, like if New York State, they local uh, jurisdictions, cities and, and uh, towns in New York State can pass tobacco cigarette taxes, but in Oregon, not so much. That's, that's correct. We have a local uh, preemption on local governments passing uh, their own uh, tobacco taxes. Uh, uh, I, some people are, you know, if uh, you've traveled to New York City, New York City has its own uh, city tobacco tax. Uh, and, um, and so when you go there and you see a pack of cigarettes at like $14, it's pretty eye-opening. You're like, oh yeah, that's what happens when you actually can 
put a, a serious tax in place that's designed to reduce consumption. Yep, it, it preempts local governments from from passing their own tax. We just have a statewide a statewide tax. Yeah, so that's uh, the only yeah. opportunity. That's that's the only um, right. So right now we're uh, you know when we're talking about raising taxes in Oregon, the most direct kind of way there is to just raise the statewide tax on tobacco products. Uh, there's, uh, I think, thinking about you know is it possible to actually remove that exempt that preemption to allow local governments, local jurisdictions to pass their own tax. I think that's a conversation that we should have. I, I think in, uh, especially in public health, we we know um, how uh, how kind of bad preemption laws can be and how uh, how they can really stop um, uh, progress on, on local um, you know, kind of health issues. And so identifying where these preemption laws are in place, and by the way, they're, they're in place because the tobacco industry lobbied hard for them around the country. Uh, and uh, uh, trying to unwind some of those bad policies, uh, I think, would actually go a long way to allow lots of areas to, um, you know, to pass their own uh, uh, additional tobacco taxes to, uh, you know, both to raise revenue and to reduce consumption. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I totally agree with you. Of course, not surprisingly, um, and I'm I'm for tobacco taxes for all the reasons that we've talked about, whether they happen at the federal or the state or the local level. But um, because I do a lot of work outside of Oregon, I've been able to work with jurisdictions, with like little tiny towns, you know, cities to increase their tobacco taxes. And um, it's actually pretty powerful when, when, you know, smaller communities have those conversations um, and and make that decision for their community. Uh, I I think that it it would obviously be ideal if if communities in Oregon had that had that uh, ability here. Um, so, Governor Kate Brown mm -hmm. has proposed an increase in tobacco taxes at two dollar per pack. Mm -hmm. That's right. And then, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so which is really exciting as part of, um, uh, so f just uh, the, the primer on how the state budget process works is that uh, Oregon's legislature is meeting right now. Uh, we're in, so in the long session, call it, every, uh, in the odd years. Um, and uh, in, the, in these long sessions, that's when the, uh, the legislature passes the state budget. And the way it works is that in the, in the fall before the governor will put forth a, a proposed budget, and that's really the starting point for the legislature to work from to craft the budget. And uh, as part of the governor's proposed budget, it includes this, um, uh, this tobacco tax increase, uh, uh, primarily to fund the, uh, the Oregon Health Plan. Um, one of the, you know, Oregon has, uh, uh, you know, we've been one of the most aggressive states at expanding our Medicaid coverage uh, through the Affordable Care Act, and, and now, uh, you know, something like 95% of everyone in the state has health insurance, and so we're, uh, which is really fantastic, and there are a lot of good things that come of that. It's also very expensive. The the federal share, As, right, especially now, before we 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 reap the benefits of prevent mm -hmm. preventive care. Yeah. You know, like mm -hmm. so, yeah. And and the the in the first years of the expansion, the federal government picked up the tab, but. Uh, now the state share is increasing uh, as as was planned, and so the states have to come up with more money to maintain the same coverage. And so, uh, so the tobacco tax proposal is part of a package to uh, to basically shore up our Medicaid system and to make sure that people who are 
many people who are suffering or will suffer from tobacco-caused diseases uh, will actually be able to get the medical treatment that they need, um, uh, as well as the, uh, you know, kind of the help quitting and other things that uh, we get kind of through the medical system. So, uh, so I think that that's, that's really kind of critical piece. But the, um, uh, this bill also does a couple other, uh, I think, really important things. Uh, it, well, first I should say that there are actually a number of different proposals around tobacco taxes, uh, okay. uh, kind of um, in the legislature right now, and so who knows which one will uh, be a vehicle forward. But I think, uh, you know, in addition to raising cigarette taxes, there's uh, the governor proposes to get rid of Oregon's uh, tax break on luxury cigars, which I think is a great idea. We're, we're actually the first state to uh, pass a tax break for luxury cigars. Uh, all it's done is give people who smoke luxury, you know, big expensive cigars a, a tax break they don't need. Um, and we can actually save millions of dollars by getting rid of that. Um, there are also uh, uh, there are also some bills to, to actually tax and regulate electronic cigarettes, which are right now totally untaxed and unregulated by the state. Uh, and uh, uh, and rates of, of use, especially among youth, are really going up very fast. And so that's, I think, like a real emerging priority to, uh, uh, to both regulate those products and to um, find a revenue stream to support that, that regulation. Yeah, uh, so like vape, vape products. Vape products. Yeah. Um, and then there are, uh, as, the, uh, as cigarette uh, cons consumption declines, tobacco con companies are shifting to other products and uh, other smokeless products and, and what have you. And so uh, uh, Oregon taxes those products differently than cigarettes, but we should think about if we're going to be raising cigarette taxes to also raise taxes by a kind of an equivalent amount on those other products so we're not just creating an incentive for uh, uh, to basically shift product for product shifting. Okay. Uh, so so uh, I've heard that called tax parity. Tax parity, right. Yeah. So Is uh, that a... That's, if yeah, people that's, hear that term, is that what that means? Okay. That's right. That's a technical, that's a technical okay. term. That's, right. uh, and um, I think that... Uh, Hopefully, we'll have a chance to talk more uh, in a, kind of a later podcast about some of this because I think there are, there are some really interesting examples of how a lack of tobacco tax parity has led to all kinds of shenanigans and tax evasion and uh, uh, things that have really blunted the public health impact of um, of uh, tobacco increases. Yeah, yeah, and also it makes sense. Like if if I'm addicted to nicotine, or I'm a kid and I'm really uh, a price-sensitive consumer, um, and cigarettes get more expensive, but the other products don't, then I could just switch to those other products, or I might, or it just might be, I might just be as easily picking up, you know, spit tobacco, um, which maybe technically isn't quite as harmful as combustible cigarettes, but still, we don't want to create those uh, inequities all right, so here's what we have um, learned. Everyone should care about tobacco taxes. <laughs> Everyone uh, should maybe know a little something about tobacco taxes because there's going to be more discussion probably for the next little while about increasing tobacco taxes in Oregon, which is really exciting and, and you know, um, when we're talking about a $2 increase, that has the potential to do so much good for so many people. Um, it, it will definitely deter 
kill children and kids mm-hmm. from starting tobacco. So um, anything else in summary before I... Uh, I, I think that's that's good. I, I think I probably should have mentioned before that the the two dollar a pack increase uh, would will raise somewhere in the neighborhood of four hundred million dollars a biennium, and yeah. it depends on when it actually would take effect um, and if it would be referred. And there's some moving parts. So, uh, uh, but it's really a substantial amount of revenue um, that would really do a lot of good in a in a time when we're really desperate for um, uh, yeah, for that revenue to support really important programs. It really sounds like a good idea to me. A, I think it's a good idea. Let's raise some tobacco yeah. <laughs> taxes. Let's do this. So we at Upstream Public Health, uh, we we think that everybody should know at least a few things about tobacco taxes. So we came up with uh, five things that you should know about tobacco taxes. And here they are. Tobacco taxes are popular with the general public, including many smokers. Daniel talked about that today. Um, Pretty much the only people who don't like tobacco taxes are tobacco companies. Number two, tobacco taxes will always raise net revenue, um, especially when combined with evidence-based public health prevention programs. Uh, Number three, tobacco tax parity is important, and Oregon taxes are below average. Number four, when done correctly, tobacco taxes can reduce tobacco use and prevent youth from starting tobacco. And number five, tobacco companies will oppose tobacco taxes with all their hearts. So uh, those, are, those are the five things that we think everybody should know about tobacco taxes. And we're hoping that you'll want to know a little bit more about each one of those five things. And we have a lot to share about that. Um, and it'll be, um, uh, and I think it'll be great to, to be able to um, uh, kind of share a lot of the information that we've gathered over really uh, careers uh, working in tobacco control uh, and, uh, and around tobacco policy. Uh, because I, I think it's a, uh, it's such a critical, it's a critical issue, but it's, and it's such an important time uh, where things are really happening right now. That um, that it's you know it's an exciting time to weigh in and to and to not be fooled by the uh, by the the industry uh, opposition. So over the next little while, we are going to have several more podcasts where we'll be digging into some of these issues a little bit more thoroughly. We're also going to bring on some amazing and. Uh, fascinating expert guests from around the nation, sharing some of their perspectives. So um, this is the first and kickoff uh, podcast in this podcast series. Uh, We'll do a series devoted to tobacco taxes, uh, probably two or three more uh, podcasts about tobacco taxes. We hope you'll join us. And then uh, Upstream Public Health will also share some podcasts on other uh, emerging and important public health issues. Also, we want to hear from you. So hit us up on our Facebook page. Um, We'll share a link to this podcast. And if you have any thoughts, let's say maybe you are a tobacco tax expert or an aficionado and want to share what you think are the real five things that people should know about tobacco taxes, uh, bring it on. We want to hear from you. Share your story, share your thoughts, share your perspectives. Um, maybe you want to volunteer to 
to come and talk to us on one of these podcasts. Uh, we want to hear from you. So uh, find us on Facebook. We are Upstream Public Health. And we appreciate you listening today. Thanks so much, everyone. This has been the Upstream Public Health Podcast with your host, Jill Hudson, and today's guest, Daniel Morris. For more information about Upstream Public Health, please go to the Upstream Public Health website at upstreampublichealth.com. To join today's conversation, visit the Upstream Public Health Facebook page at facebook.com slash upstreampublichealth.